No name badge, no lunch. <laughs> For him as well. Good morning. It is just such a privilege to be here. And um, my wife is here, Anne. Uh, they're sitting next to Joe, a good friend who was uh, a member of our church until she went south, where all you ladies are from. It's daunting coming south. Um, we're in the frozen north. Uh, if you've been to um, uh, Derbyshire, uh, you probably almost certainly have been to Dovedale. Has anybody been to Dovedale? Yes, some have. Yeah. The famous thing about Dovedale is the stepping stones. And uh, on a glorious day like today, on a Saturday, it will be heaving with people. And uh, there's not a lot of water coming down now, I wouldn't have thought. So crossing the stepping stones from one side to the other on a beautiful walk on a lovely day like today is quite lovely. But you can go up there in the wintertime and the stepping stones are there and they are flooded. They are overflowed with water pouring down from the Derbyshire hills. But the stepping stones have remained there. Health and safety has said that they're a little bit slippy and so on. So I've had to put some concrete on the top of them, Derbyshire County Council, to stop people falling in. Can you believe it? There you go. Well, uh, I hope it's a beautiful uh, crossing of the stepping stones for us this morning because I've got seven stepping stones to take us from now to the end of the day. So let me, before we read the scriptures together, tell you what we're going to be doing. Num stepping stone number one is an explanation. Why am I speaking on this particular subject, uh, the beauty of God? That's very brief. Number two is an introduction. Well, we need an introduction, don't we, to our subject. Uh, thirdly, third stepping stone is an investigation, a brief investigation. What do we mean by beauty? Uh, and then fourthly, my, our main time this morning is our exposition. So we'll be looking at God's word and thinking about this wonderful subject. Uh, and then fifthly, we'll be having a discussion. And uh, I hope you'll be gentle with me. If there are awkward questions, Jeremy will answer them. Uh, number six, stepping stone number six, is our luncheon. We got that into it rhymes with all the others. And then number seven this afternoon is our application. Our application will be more practical perhaps than this morning. This morning uh, we're talking about the theology of beauty. Uh, that sounds heavy, as our young people would say. Well, we hope it's not too heavy, but we hope it's weighty in what we think about. And then we'll think about the practicalities this afternoon. So that's where we're going to go. We, we're going to cross the day on those stepping stones. So come with me. And like we do when we go across those stepping stones in Dovedale, some will we'll, we'll, we'll pass over very quickly. And others will do that, which the children love to do, stand on the one in the middle where the water's going its fastest and gaze in and have a look in. Something like that. That's what it will be. We're going to read God's word. Uh, please turn with me, if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We have two um, sort of texts, as it were, for our day. Uh, and one is found here this morning in verse 4 of this psalm. We're going to read the whole psalm, but please uh, see verse 4 in its context as we think about the beauty of God. Uh, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. 
which is the version they use here and the one that I'm familiar with. You may have other versions. I don't think it will be particularly different. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. Amen. Verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So our first stepping stone is an explanation. Why this particular subject? Well, a little explanation really uh, is due because about a year ago, um, one of our brethren from our fraternal up in the East Midlands uh, spoke on something from the early church fathers. Uh, he was talking to us about Augustine and Oregon and Gregory and others like that, familiar names. And then we told him he must have made up some of the other names because he told us about Methodotius and Theodotius. We said, you've made those names up. But he was talking to us from these men. And what struck me on that occasion was how often these men of the early centuries, up to the first, uh, fifth century, spoke and thought and wrote about the beauty of God. And I was struck by that. And I thought, 
You know, have I ever heard a message? Have I read very much on this subject? So in December, I, I, I was due to take a small Bible study in our church and uh, did so on this subject. It sort of kindled a flame. Around that time, around the end of the year, being of this year, a very, very dear friend uh, in the church died. He was aged 90 and his home was a treasure trove of books and CDs and music and all sorts of things and he'd invited us he knew he was going to go to glory soon he invited us around to his home and he he told us we could have anything anything that we wanted and um well of all the many many books and things piles of them i picked up this little booklet and it's just called you can probably see it it's called beautiful beautiful and it was one of those things that added to my interest and thought and and study on the subject and i'll quote from it this afternoon tell you a bit more about it uh, and then along came jeremy's request um i thought i got away with it last time i said jeremy i'm in hospital i can't come but he persisted and said will you come so here i am and uh, it just struck me really i felt the lord had laid this subject on my heart and um, interestingly, having said I'd never come across the subject much before, uh, we were in the Lake District recently and uh, the Banner of Truth are holding a, a minister's conference up in the north. And uh, there's the subject, the beauty of God. So I'm going to go up in November possibly and find out what I don't know about this subject. Um, a very good friend of mine is speaking on that occasion well here we are the beauty of god that's our explanation now something of an introduction um an introduction therefore we need to introduce this don't we to 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 gain an understanding of where where does this fit in in the bible in our understanding of theology and so on well we had psalm 27 and there it is in verse 4 there is the psalmist david saying he has this longing this desire to behold the beauty of the Lord set in the Old Testament. But what I want to do just now in this introduction is take you to the New Testament to show you that this is not something that is just reserved for a psalmist, uh, a, a singer, maybe a man who would think of that sort of subject, but is in the New Testament also. So um, if you've got fingers and thumbs or markers and things like this, Psalm 27, keep it there. But come with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're only going to read two verses. They'll be familiar to you, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 45 and 46. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. And we're reading the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Lord Jesus himself speaking again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You've got an old AV. I think it says comely pearls. It may have a different word for uh, for the word beautiful, but the word uh, strikes us here this merchant he's he's dealing in beautiful things he's dealing in beautiful pearls and uh, i think this is a helpful place 
to begin so that we can see the balance between the Old Testament desire of David and the New Testament illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he, it gives us, this parable gives us three things. It gives us something, it tells us something, and it points us to something. So just very briefly in the introduction, this parable gives us, I think, the reason why we are here or why, the, why I hope we are here. We may be here because we come every year and we love seeing one another. And I go to conferences and it's a great thing about conferences, isn't it? Seeing friends maybe just once a year. But the reason that we are here, the Lord Jesus is speaking about that reason here. It is the kingdom of heaven. That is why we're here. We're interested in the kingdom of heaven. We are women of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven, not only in heaven to come, because certainly that's where the kingdom will be, but the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we know, too, that he speaks, don't, doesn't he, of the kingdom being in our hearts. Here is the reason why we're thinking about this subject because it's to do with the kingdom of heaven in our hearts and the kingdom that one day we will inhabit in heaven but the kingdom of God on earth here precious and beautiful things you see how the Lord Jesus ends this uh, series of parables in this chapter verse verse 51 Jesus said to them have you understood all these things they said to him yes Lord then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things old and new. And I think that's helpful to us because we will be this morning and this afternoon, I am sure, with all of us, bringing out things where we will say, well, I knew that old treasure. Perhaps we'll be looking at it and re-enlivening our thinking about it but new treasure too and it's my hope and prayer really that there will be new and old things for us um, th about this particular subject number two this parable tells us about the diligence that we need the diligence we need um, here's this merchant he's seeking beautiful pearls He's not just doing like we do on holiday, maybe popping into an antique and collectibles place and having a sort of a dig around um, and just passing a bit of time. He is a man who is intensely diligent in what he is doing and he is seeking goodly or beautiful pearls. That is what he's about. That's what he gets up in the morning for. He is seeking beautiful pearls. Did you notice the psalmist, David, said, my whole desire is to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to dwell where I can find that beauty and behold it. See, there's something about this subject already we're discovering, aren't we, just in our introduction, whether it be Old Testament David or New Testament Jesus himself telling us about this merchant. He is diligent in his desire and his seeking. And of course, what does he do? He finds it. He finds that beautiful pearl. So the third thing is this. The parable points us to the object that we seek. This parable points us to the object that we seek. He's seeking one 
beautiful pearl above every other pearl. All that he's had and seen and handled before is given away, sold, because this one exceeds them all. And we can't really have a reference point to what beauty is until we see the one who is all beautiful, perfectly beautiful. We can have no dimension eternally as to what beauty is without seeing something of the one who is the eternal beauty of God. And Jesus is speaking here, isn't he, about the one who is altogether lovely. I wonder if you know the object of this parable. In the late 17th century, a man called John Mason discovered it. I found the pearl of greatest price. My heart does sing for joy and sing I must for Christ is mine. Christ shall my tongue employ. Christ Jesus is my all in all, my comfort and my love, my life below, and he shall be my glory crown above. So the object of our day together is to behold the beauty of the most beautiful, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that when David was speaking in Psalm 27, he is speaking of this same one, the Lord Jesus Christ, supremely beautiful. So there's our explanation, something of our explanation as to why we're uh, looking at this subject, something of an introduction. Uh, thirdly, we said we'd have something of a, uh, an investigation. And if you think, well, we're going quickly, we'll be done soon. Uh, when we get to the uh, exposition, we'll spend some more time. But let's just have a little bit of an investigation here, because um, if this is true, um, which I believe it is, that Psalm 24, verse 4, uh, Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46, speaking of the same thing, um, let me just put that in the context of this hymn by Frederick Faber. Jesus is God. Oh, could I see, oh, could I now but compass land and sea to teach and tell this single truth, how happy should I be? Oh, had I but an angel's voice, I would proclaim so loud that Jesus, the good and beautiful, is everlasting God. So when the psalmist desires the beauty of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in our Bibles, of Yahweh, of Jehovah God, a covenant God, the creating God, the great, glorious, transcendent God, and the merchant is seeking the great and precious pearl of all, the price of everything that he's ever had before, we're speaking of the same, the same one. Now, uh, I, I discovered in, in, in preparation, there was a, a really nice article by a, a pastor in the United States. I don't know whether um, uh, Jeremy knows him, Stephen DeWitt. Uh, and this is what he says. 
The beauty of God presents humans with both, both the most sublime of possible thoughts and the most difficult of theological understandings. I think I'll just read that again so we just sort of got it. The beauty of God presents humans with both the most sublime of possible thoughts and the most difficult of theological understandings. We say, thank you, that's helpful, isn't it? What it's saying to us is this. We're going to have to think beyond the way we think normally of beauty. Because this is God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of heaven, the beautiful one, the pearl of greatest price. So what do you think about when you think of beauty? I suppose if we had time, we could pass a piece of paper around and say, write down what you think beauty is. Well, in the dictionary, it says this, a quality pleasing to the senses, especially the eye or the ear, giving aesthetic pleasure. Well, that's the way we think of pleasure, isn't it? We, of, of beauty, rather. We think of it as uh, something that we, we look at or we hear and say, well, that's beautiful. And the Bible has plenty of references like that. A lot of references to ladies. You'll be glad to know. And uh, Sarah is described as being beautiful. And Rebecca and Rachel and Abigail and a host of others. Sadly, the evil woman in Proverbs 6 is described as beautiful. So we must be careful with what is beauty. But to bring you ladies down to size... Uh, the Bible also describes Egypt as beautiful, uh, uh, Tyre as beautiful, uh, various other cities as beautiful, houses, ships, Babylonish garments, feet, and even whitewashed tombs. You see, we're, we're, we're looking here, when we investigate what we're doing here, we're looking here at the beauty of God. Now, the Bible um, translators translating the Hebrew and the Greek um, have used the word beautiful in various places. In, in the New King James, there's 108 references in total, most of them actually in the Old Testament. Uh, and there are other words as well, as we'll see, glory and other things like that. But when it comes to God, it is more than just passing aesthetic beauty. It's more than Bunyan's ear gate and eye gate. It's more than that. It, it, it is not just a passing beauty. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, let's go back there and, and listen to the psalmist again, because this is a, a, a key verse for us, Psalm 27, verse 4. Get my uh, Bible back there again. Uh, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Listen to what the Amplified Version says, uh, this word beautiful. The delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord. And I think what, what the Amplified Version translators or, or, or those who 
took that and and helped by expanding the words for us in that sort of version of the Bible. It's a, it's a paraphrase, but it's helpful, isn't it, to see that it's above and beyond our thinking of earthly beauty. The most sublime of possible thoughts. The psalmist is desiring, earnestly requesting. He can see beauty all around him, but he is earnestly longing and seeking this beauty which is beyond that which he can see. And he wants to behold it. So he doesn't want to just say, oh, it's a nice day out there, isn't it? And then we're going to get on. It's more than that. Well, that's our investigation. Now we're going to come to our exposition. I've got five things here uh, for us. Five things. Five uh, views, if you like, of the beauty of God. So let's try and be theological, but let's try and be helpful and understandable so that we can go away and think, yes, I, I see something now of what the beauty of God is theologically from God's word. Number one, the beauty of God is present in his being, in his being. And, and by that, I've written down here, I've written down here so I can emphasize this, to remember to say this. In his being, God. The beauty of God is present in his being, who he is. But in his being, God. Now, some of you will be from churches like this one and our church uh, back in Derby, uh, where we, we, we hold to a confession of faith. And those confessions were hammered out over centuries and have lasted for centuries. We thank God for them. They're very, very helpful. They have proofed texts. So I'm not going to give you all the proof text for what I'm going to read to you. We'll be here for a long time otherwise. You can get the 1689 Confession or the Westminster Confession or, or, or one of the other Reformed Confessions of Faith. But let me just read you something. And you just tell me what's your reaction when you hear this. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. He is most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts or passions, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach to, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, God having all life, glory, good, and blessedness 
Well, I could read on. What would you say? You would say something like this, wouldn't you? That is amazing. That is wonderful. Augustine said, God is supremely good. Beauty of all things, beautiful. Our forefathers who crafted carefully the words of such confessions realised that they were writing something here which was almost beyond writing because it was so glorious, so beautiful, so above and beyond anything in this world. Augustine, way back in the centuries before, said, God is supremely good. Beauty of all things beautiful so Frederick Faber wrote the hymn that we will sing at the end of this session my God how wonderful thou art thy majesty how bright how beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light how wonderful how beautiful the sight of thee must be thine endless wisdom boundless power and awful purity. This is our point, isn't it? That uh, the beauty of God is present in his being. But there's more than that. I read you paragraph one, part of paragraph one, part of paragraph two, uh, in the section on God. But the section on God is a section on God and the Trinity. Paragraph three reads like this. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being. <clears throat> On our way down here, we listened to some music, classic FM, and our daughter had Gabriel's oboe. Now, will you know that piece uh, at, our, at our wedding? It's an oboe with a, a muted orchestra behind, but it's the one, the one instrument that is, stands out. It's most beautiful. But if you said to us, what's your favourite bit of classical music? Uh, we, would, we would say um, the uh, uh, organ symphony, uh, in which there is a huge, huge orchestra even two pianos, an organ and a vast orchestra uh, playing that symphony. And it's when the instruments come together, isn't it, that we, we see that it's not just the one, but the whole that makes the beauty of the sound and causes us to thrill. And it is the same with God. Here is God. 
He is one God. We are saying that his beauty is present in his being God. But in his being God, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that, there is harmony and symmetry and uh, no clashing or jarring. There is unity and equality and perfection. And in his being God, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a beautiful relationship of love which is unsurpassed. This is where we must begin. In the beginning, God. All beauty comes from God. He is what we call theologically the archetypal beauty. He is the source of it. Like the architect is the designer of it. He is the designer and the source of all beauty. In his being, he is beautiful. Number two, the beauty of God is found in his attributes. The beauty of God is present in his being. The beauty of God is found in his attributes. When I first became a Christian, I acquired, I can't remember where it came from, but I bought it or somebody gave it to me, The Gleanings in the Godhead, and that book that Jeremy recommended us to, Pink's book on uh, God, the attributes of God, is really the first half of this book. And, uh, well, I I think you, you should all read the book because it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Pink is a, a master of language, seeking to grasp the solitariness of God, the decrees of God, the knowledge of God, the foundation, the foreknowledge of God, the sovereignty of God. And so it goes on. 25 chapters about God. The faithfulness of God, the loving kindness of God, the goodness of God. But Mr. Pink, where is the beauty of God in this list? It isn't there. That's interesting, isn't it? Another great book which Jeremy recommended, and uh, again, an early book from my Christian life, is... Knowing God. Oh, Mr. Packer, surely uh, we've got this far. Won't we read in here about your beauty? God unchanging, the majesty of God, God only wise, God's wisdom and ours. The word is truth, the love of God, the grace of God. Isn't it interesting that neither of these great men, theologians of nearly our time, uh, we're in 21st century now, um, are missing one thing. But are they? Are they? Is God not beautiful? Yes, in his being. And now we are saying yes in his attributes. All those attributes of God are beautiful. So the reason why these theologians, I believe, of the past, uh, not only uh, the past, recent past, but of past, past times, have not 
added to the list the beauty of God is because their belief and the scriptures back it up is that every attribute of God is beautiful. The beautiful love of God, the beautiful mercy of God, the beautiful grace of God, the beautiful justice of God. God is beautiful in all his attributes. That little article by Stephen DeWitt, he has a, a picture for us. He has a picture of me bringing to my wife a bouquet of flowers, which she'll tell you I do every now and then. But uh, I could bring her one flower, couldn't I? And she'd say, oh, that's very sweet of you. But if I bring a bouquet and it's just full of colour and contrast and, and, and the way it's been put together with some... Uh, some foliage and so on by somebody who knew what they were doing. Uh, DeWitt says this, God's beauty is the bouquet of his perfections. Now it is right we can look, can't we? And, uh, and Pink and, and, and Packer and others, of course, from past days have, have taken us to the grace of God and we've looked at the grace of God and we've said... That's beautiful. And we looked at the mercy of God, and that is beautiful. But when we look at God in all his attributes, that's where his beauty shines. It's going to rain, I think, uh, perhaps over the weekend or whatever. But if the sun's still shining and it's raining as well, what do we get? A rainbow. I only know the colours of the rainbow from singing the song. Uh, red and yellow and... Yeah, OK. Now, red is a nice colour, and uh, my, granddaughter would, my, my granddaughter would say, Grandpops, your favourite colour is yellow. And, well, that's there, isn't it? And all the colours are beautiful. But what makes the rainbow so beautiful is its completeness, isn't it? We look at it in the sky, we say, that's so beautiful. And it's beautiful because of the contrasting colours, the, 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 the combined nature of the colours, and yet the, the individuality of the colours. It is most beautiful, and this is God in his attributes. We struggle, don't we, to describe God with any... With, with any don't, don't we just have trouble describing the Trinity? Uh, you can't do it, uh, because it's beyond us. And this is the beauty of God. His grandeur and glory when all his attributes are seen together. So let's just stop and pause a minute and say what we've said so far. What we've said is this, is that God in his being is the archetypal beauty. So he is beauty beyond all and anything else that is beautiful. He is the source of beauty. He is the archetypal beauty. And, and particularly we see this in his trinity. But he is what I'm calling the adjectival beauty. Now, I don't even know where that's a word. Uh, you could look it up. Uh, because here we have this word beautiful being used like an adjective. Remember our school days, don't we? That's a describing word. Beautiful grace. Beautiful love. Beautiful righteousness. Even beautiful wrath. Because all these come together in God's attributes. Beautiful. So his archetypal beauty is in his being. His adjectival, adject, I can't even say it now, I've written it down. Adjectival 
adjective, I'll give up. You know, it's an adjective about God's attributes, but also in his harmonal beauty, the harmony of it all, the, the, the togetherness of it all in the harmony of who God is in his being and his attributes. Now, I'm a bit of a steam railway man. Any husbands, sons, fathers? If I brought to them a whole pile of uh, bits of steel and brass and copper and, and uh, so on, and I just dumped it at your front door, you would say, what on earth is all this clutter? But uh, if I do what a lot of restorationists have done is, is restored these amazing steam beasts and put it together and you saw it flying down the main line, steam coming out of it, beautiful white plume of steam and the sun glinting on the side, flying Scotsman. You'd say, that's beautiful. And this is how we must see God in, in his parts, but in his beauty, in his beauty. So number three, the beauty of God is emphasised in his holiness. So present in his being, found in his attributes, emphasised in his holiness. You see, I think we can go one step further from what we said about describing uh, God's attributes and, 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 and take this one. The beauty of God is emphasised in his holiness. Now, in the chapter in pink, uh, he quotes the Puritan writer Stephen Charnock, and he says this, Power is God's hand or arm, omniscience is his eye, mercy is his bowels, eternity is his duration, but holiness is his beauty. Pink says, it is supremely this which renders him lovely to those who are delivered from sin's dominion. His holiness. Do you remember that? Do you know the story of Martin Luther and how he was converted? We won't go into it in detail, but you remember how Luther was terrified by God's holiness, terrified by it, and uh, yet God shined a light into his heart, didn't he? And he came to realize that the just shall live by faith, and he realized this that that God in Christ imputed his righteousness to the believer and he took on the Lord Jesus Christ, placed on him our sinfulness. And Luther came to understand that the holiness of God was something to love and wonder at and see as beautiful but what spoils our view of God in his holiness of course is our sin we live in a house at the moment where thankfully the trees have grown up a bit like where Jeremy and family live you can't see beyond what is beyond is the power station the blot on our landscape. Uh, it's meant to be all coming down soon, which will be all 
Well, we were going to charge money for people to come and stand in our bedroom to watch the thing blow up. You can't see it now because the trees are there. Um, but in our previous house in, Dar- in uh, Droitwich Spa, where we used to live, uh, when we bought the house, the lady said to us, look, if you're buying this house for the view, don't do it because uh, it's going to go. And uh, there was a beautiful view of the Malvern Hills, which in the wintertime we had the snow on the Malvern Hills. It was lovely. But she knew there would be a blot on the landscape and it would be a big housing estate. And it was, and a house right up against us. And the problem is with us, you see, as sinners, is the blot on the landscape is our sinfulness and we can't see his holiness. We're going to say this afternoon, worship the Lord in the beauty of (coughs) holiness. Because we won't see the Lord as worthy of worship when we see our sinfulness. Well, uh, Hilary of Poitiers, one of those early church fathers, wrote this. We must in truth confess that God is most beautiful and that with a beauty which though it transcends our comprehension forces itself upon our perception that the beauty of God forces itself on our perception if we look and gaze like David the psalmist sought to do and if we sort out the pearls and find the greatest pearl then this wonder of God's beauty even his holiness will, as it were, force itself upon our view. Now, in that book, uh, uh, the book about Sarah Edwards, which I do recommend, Sharon James's book, um, there's something here quoted by Jonathan, which is which her husband, of course. He says, I have often had sweet complacency in God in views of his glorious perfections and the excellency of Jesus Christ has appeared to me a glorious and lovely being, chiefly on account of his holiness. So here we have something quite special, really. That the beauty of God is present in his being, is found in his attributes, but is emphasised in his holiness. Two more to go before we break. The beauty of God is declared in his creation. I think you probably would have expected this one, wouldn't you? The beauty of God is declared in his creation. Now, you see, we could have jumped straight there, couldn't we? We could have said, ah, I know, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glories of God, and and yes, that's where we should go first. We go where beauty begins first. Otherwise, what we see, and the danger that Paul tells us about in Romans 1, isn't it, is we worship the created thing rather than the creator. We do see beauty. The sun is shining through the trees and the trees are just beginning to turn and it's beautiful, but it is the creator we want to see and his attributes and and his glory and especially his holiness. But we do know, don't we? We do know that song. Uh, I, I suppose we could just quickly quickly mention it. Time doesn't permit us to do it properly, but in, in Psalm 19, uh, it, it tells us, um, doesn't it? The heavens declare... Well, it's, it's like a, a voice. It's, it's speaking. The heavens are telling us 
We used to sing in a choir, and I used to sing in a choir. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. The word shows is the word for telling out. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge, like the lecturer speaking and uh, giving details about it all. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Can you see that the psalmist here is using speaking language all the way through, the speaking expressions. The heavens, the the stars, the sun, the moon, the, the trees, the birds, the plants. We went to Wisley yesterday on the way here, and we saw some amazing Plants, even at the end of the season, the summer is still there in a way. And God is speaking out his beauty. The Hebrew word beautiful, the Hebrew word, can be translated in different ways. That's why we do have different translations. If you've got different translations and if you've got a concordance or you Google it or Bible app it or whatever you do these days... um, you will find that uh, if you if you look at the version you've got, you'll find that there's different references to the word beautiful, uh, to other versions and so on, but you go backwards into the original and you'll find that it's the word bright. We look bright days, don't we? All things bright and beautiful. All creatures great and small. All things wise and wonderful. The Lord God made them all and there's something of god himself isn't there in his creation in the sense that we've said that in god there is a hormonal beauty so there is isn't there in the world in which we live in the world which he has created ralph waldo emerson uh, he was a man who descended from his Christian influences of, of his early days and he went into transcendental meditation and all sorts of strange things but I noticed this he said this never lose an opportunity of seeing anything beautiful for beauty is God's handwriting isn't it interesting that even a man who became an atheist or he became a pantheist he can see I don't know how many times Michael Jackson has been quoted at a ladies' conference. This could be a first, and it means I'll never get invited back again. <laughs> we know this, this man had a deeply, deeply sad life, didn't we? Disturbing life. But he says this, Wherever you go, man-made things are man-made. You've got to get out and see God's beauty in the world. Now, please don't take your theology from Michael Jackson, but he is right in saying that, isn't he? Now, it's an interesting quote, because when we were in the Lake District last week, week before last, we were WhatsApping. Yes, I WhatsApp. We were WhatsApping little videos and pictures from a most beautiful Lake District in the sunshine for the whole week to our um, family one of our family our son-in-law was in New York and he whatsapped his view from the 102nd floor of the office block where he was 
And he is not a believer. And he saw the difference. He said, here's my view. It was Jackson's, it was all man-made. It was skyscrapers and, 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 and it was all glass and concrete and steel. And he said, that's, that's nothing like the beauty that you are seeing in the hills and the lakes and the rivers and so on. The whole world's groaning and travailing in pain, isn't it? Uh, but it is still declaring it God's handiwork. And for the Christian, if we are truly the Lord's, and truly we are doing what the psalmist was seeking to do, desiring, and what the merchant was seeking to do, he was seeking the best, the most costly pearl. We will see God through the beauty of his creation in a different way to the world. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Augustine again, he says, if beauty delights you, what is more beautiful than the maker? Lastly then this morning, we've gone over time, but it means you've got less time to question me and therefore we can have our luncheon. Uh, lastly, the beauty of God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So, so let me just go through my headings again because it's important where our emphasis is. The beauty of God is present in his being. It is found in his attributes. It is emphasised in his holiness. It is declared by his creation. It is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And it really brings us to the full circle, doesn't it? It brings us round to where we were at the beginning. Because what we were saying was this in our investigation. Jesus is God. And uh, we said God is beautiful. He's the archetype of all beauty. But it is in Jesus Christ that God is revealed supremely to us till we reach heaven we see him as in hebrews 1 god who at various times and in various ways spoke to us in times past by the fathers has in last, these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power when he himself purged our sins sat down the right hand of the majesty on high when God speaks it's revelation isn't it revelation God revealing himself he does that through his creation he shows us the harmonial beauty of God with the harmony and the beauty of the world which he has made but here has revealed himself revealed himself through his son when the fullness of the time was come Jesus Christ came into the world. What did he come to do? Well, we would say he came to save us. Hallelujah. 
But he came to show us in himself the beauty of God. Christ, the very image of God. I was going to quote Colossians 1 verses 15 to 19. You can just jot that down. What wonderful things the Apostle Paul tells us. Very similar to the writer of Hebrews here. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. is the image of God's invisible beauty. And he has made visible to us. In sin we're blind to it. We're blind to it. Aren't we? The writer uh, Isaiah tells us how blind we are and how we didn't see. Who has believed our report? Who, who, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. That's what sin's done to us. Sin is horrible. It's wicked. It's evil. Because it has taken away the beauty from our sight of the all-beautiful one. But by grace we're saved. So if you love the Song of Solomon, as I hope you do, and you see the Song of Solomon more than just a love song set on earth, it is a spiritual song about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question rings out from Song of Solomon, chapter 5 and verse 9. What is your beloved more than any other beloved? Well, we need to read the answer to that question. Here is the answer. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips drop lily, are lilies, dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold, set with beryl. His body is carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, but what does all that mean? <laughs> It's poetical, it's wonderful, it's, it's, it's glorious language. What does it, all that mean? Wait a minute, I'm going to tell you. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Is he your friend? Is he your beloved? Can you by faith say, yes, not fully, but I see him. I grasp something of the fact that God, in all his beauty, has revealed him to me. The theology of beauty. This afternoon we're going to think about what that means. Uh, often in church and talking to preachers when I've done preachers classes is I've said about your sermon so what so what what does that mean to me practically that's what we'll try and do this afternoon so if you've got some questions about the practicalities I may be dealing with it this afternoon but it may help me if you've got some questions about that so that we can include it this afternoon or answer it in a moment or two. I'm going to hand back to Jeremy and then we're going to have our uh, session. Ladies, you've been very, very patient. Thank you for your time.